So let's say we have a construction case and the issue at hand is rebar on a construction project involving the pouring of concrete. So now we learn about rebar. And next time we take that knowledge with us and we learn something more about rebar. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have attorney John Hallaby of Hallaby Law Group in Hingham, Massachusetts. John is a civil litigator. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Mark, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me this morning. So John, tell us, what, what exactly is a civil litigator? Yeah, so a civil litigator is an attorney who represents one side of a particular dispute. It can be a person, it can be a company, it can be the government, um, but when there's... Um, a dispute between two sides, sometimes there's several sides in a complicated case involving a civil cause of action. So that can arise from a number of contexts. Something like uh, you have a contract with somebody to improve your property and they don't deliver the goods or they mess up the job. Now you have a dispute with your contractor and you can resolve that by working it out together or if you continue to have a dispute. You can bring the matter in front of the courts or in arbitration, and then you're going to need an attorney experienced in handling a dispute on your behalf to get the best resolution you can. It can also arise in employment context, uh, business to business disputes, um, circumstances involving property loss or injuries, all types of things where somebody's not being charged by the government for a criminal violation. Uh, but you're in front of the court because you have a problem with somebody else or a business and you want to get a better situation for yourself. Okay, so you, you answered that next question. So a civil litigator is not dealing with somebody who committed a crime. That's right. That's right. So if you've committed a crime, allegedly, the government will charge you and there will be a prosecutor uh, informing you of the charges that you've allegedly uh, committed, and then you go in front of the court and you go through the criminal justice system and you have a lawyer who represents you who's experienced in criminal matters. Criminal matters. Okay. So you're, you're more dealing with monetary matters, right? Most of the time we're talking about monetary money, sometimes uh, monetary issues. Sometimes, for example, if you're talking about a divorce lawyer, we don't really do those cases, but you're looking for uh, an equitable situation surrounding visitation. So that's a civil matter where money might not be an issue, but visitation rights are at issue. Things that come up in our practice. So for example, we do insurance disputes. So if you have a policy of insurance coverage and your insurance carrier is not paying you that which you feel is due, and you feel that the insurance contract says that you're entitled to X amount of benefits and uh, insurance company disagrees and you sue the insurance company and you seek a what's called a declaration. So the court issues a declaratory relief if you win, saying that the insurance policy says what you want it to say and that therefore you get certain benefits. So basically the court is describing uh, an interpretation of a contract in your favor. So you're seeking that declaratory relief. That's an example of non-monetary relief. But for the most part, 
you're asking for money, whether it's $10,000, $100,000, a million dollars, depending on the size of the dispute against somebody else that uh, committed an actionable conduct. So let me ask you about that insurance um, declaration. So is it common that an insurance carrier would deny a claim where it's pretty obvious that they should not have? Yeah, that, that certainly happens. So insurance companies are looking to sell their products and then they're looking to invest the money from the sales of the products and then pay out when they have to. So they want to keep that last category as low as they can and pay out when they absolutely have to in an amount that they feel they're absolutely going to be compelled to pay out. So there's two different kind of situations that you might run into with an insurance company. One is that they just deny coverage. So they say, you know, we issued you this contract. It's 20 pages long and you had a loss and the loss involves X. We've compared it to the language of the policy and it's just not covered. So you get nothing. Another scenario is where they say, okay, it's covered. It's something that you get a benefit for, but the value of that claim is $100,000, but you might believe it to be $250,000 because of basically the facts of the loss. Let's say your house burned down or a substantial part of your house burned down and it's $250,000 to fix it. And your insurance company says, nah, it's only $100,000. So then you have a difference in valuation. So either one of those scenarios can arise in the context of uh, insurance law. Another scenario that's, I guess, sort of interesting to insurance lawyers anyways, is what's called the uh, duty to defend and indemnify. This is a totally separate uh, type of coverage. It's, it's a part of your insurance policy, but a lot of people don't realize this. So if you are covered under an insurance agreement, let's say for automobile protection, and you're not paying attention on the roadway and you rear end somebody accidentally, the insurance company has to pay the damaged party the value of their loss. And then if that damaged party uh, wants to sue you because they feel like they're entitled to more money than your insurance company is giving them, then your insurance company has to give you a lawyer as the person who caused the accident to protect you in that litigation filed by the person who was hit in the accident. So that's called a uh, third-party claim. Sometimes you can have a dispute with your insurance company about how they're handling that third-party claim with somebody else involved in the loss. Let's say they're not giving you the attorney you want, or they're only paying for some of those attorney bills um, involving this third-party claim, or you feel like your insurance company should pay this other person more money to make the case go away, and they don't want to do that, and they're forcing you to be kind of drugged through the litigation process while the whole thing pans out. So all, all types of scenarios can happen uh, between a policyholder and their insurance company in the context of um, you know, various types of losses from property damage, persons getting hurt, um, other types of what are called perils. Now you mentioned um, uh, that sometimes there's a dispute with the company because they're not letting you use your attorney. Is, a, is an insured able to pick the attorney to defend themselves? Yeah, now that's a great question, uh, and, and it varies state by state. So here in Massachusetts, the law is if the insurance company is not fully protecting you and the facts of the particular case that you're sued in, then you have the right to pick your own attorney. If the insurance company is going to cover all things that are brought against you in the lawsuit by this other party, and you have enough insurance to 
um, take care of the particular situation. And really the only issue in the case is how much of the insurance company's money is gonna be paid out to this other person then you really don't have the right to pick your own attorney. Then the insurance company can say, look, we're protecting you fully. You have enough coverage. Uh, we can pick the lawyer. We've worked with this particular firm. We also negotiate rates with this particular firm and it saves the insurance company money to go with the firms they go with most often. And then you don't have much say. But you know, there are other cases where in particularly complex litigation where the plaintiff might in their complaint, so the complaint is a document filed with the court to lay out that which uh, forms the basis for your legal claims against the wrongdoer. So you might have 10 causes of action brought by the plaintiff against uh, you if you're the policyholder based on contract or negligence, um, other types of civil causes of action. If the, and if the insurance company says, look, we looked at the complaint and there's like six causes of action here that we think are covered, but there's four that are not, then in that case, you have the right to retain your own attorney because the insurance company, although has a duty to defend, they're only at risk. They only have partial skin in the game only for six of these 10 causes of action. So if you go through a trial and the jury finds that uh, the plaintiff is entitled to an award on these non-covered claims, then it's your money at risk. So therefore you should have the right to pick your attorney and not just be left with the firm that the insurance company hires. And you would be responsible to pay that attorney though, you as the insured. Now the insur the insurance company, if they are going to um, defend you in that type of scenario is gonna pay for an attorney that you select actually. So you don't even have to pay for your own attorney. And the reason for that is because the ethical rules require that once one cause of action is triggered, uh, a law firm has to provide a defense to all causes of action, even though some might not be covered by insurance. So the insurance company um, has a duty to provide a defense to everything, even though at the end of the day, if a jury finds an award for something that's non-covered, they don't have to pay for that award. Because their attorney is actually representing the insured person and not the insurance company, correct? That's right. That's right. So the insurance company is not in the lawsuit. The insurance company just has a duty to uh, provide a defense and to indemnify the policyholder who's being sued in the loss. So indemnify means basically take care of any judgment rendered by a jury or a judge or also pay for a settlement. That's indemnity. So those two obligations go to the insurance company, but the party who's in the suit is the policyholder. So if the claims are all within the uh, coverage of the insurance policy and it appears as though there's enough of a um, policy settlement amount available in that policy, then the insurance company is picking the attorney. But if either there's more claims outside of the policy or it looks as though the damages might exceed the policy coverage, then that consumer, that insured would be able to pick their own attorney? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there's one other scenario by which the policyholder can pick their own attorney, which is what's called a reservation of rights. So this is something where the insurance company says, okay, we've looked at everything and there's enough here to make us think that we have to protect you. However, 
some of the reasons why we have to protect you are dependent on what really happened. And that kind of factual investigation is going to be ongoing for a while. So we are going to reserve our right to pull the coverage from you, depending on how the facts further develop through the course of this lawsuit. Right now, we think there's enough to give you the protection, but we're reserving our right to pull that from you when we figure stuff out as it goes forward. If that is a decision that the insurance company makes, then in that case, the insurance company uh, has to use a lawyer picked by the policyholder as well. The reason for that is because the policyholder's at risk for later losing the protection of the insurance company's uh, payment of the lawyer. So therefore they gotta you know, pick who they want now because later on down the road, they might be uh, with that law firm and paying for that law firm themselves if the insurance company pulls the protection. So these are really complicated contracts. You know, a business owner or a, a homeowner gets these documents. Chances are they're not fully reviewing or understanding the documents. What do you recommend there? Yeah, so that, and that's absolutely correct. I mean, insurance policies uh, are really long, complicated documents. They have uh, amendments to them. Um, they have what's called riders, so a particular line of coverage. For example, commercial general liability. That's something that a business has to get to protect itself from things it might do to harm others. It's called CGL protection, commercial general liability. But you can add riders, you can add supplements and amendments uh, to the basic coverages that are contained within a form policy. These form policies are written by a company called Insurance Services Organization, ISO. So ISO puts together the policy and they also put together the supplements and riders and you kind of pick what you want. So you really got to have a good insurance uh, sales producer or broker, particularly one skilled in uh, commercial coverages when you get into uh, CGL policies or more complicated protections um, because you might find out later on when something happens that you didn't have what you thought you purchased or you really didn't understand what you were buying because it wasn't explained to you. And the policies are expensive too. I mean, people just driving around with their own auto insurance uh, realize how expensive it is. But when you start talking about, for example, a construction company where the premium is six figures for one policy, you know, you really got to make sure you find what you uh, what you want to purchase. So, so like, yeah, absolutely. Right. So with most things, it makes sense to engage the services of a professional. So a, an agent or a, a broker that help you, guide you, advise you through these contracts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and even basic policies too. So for example, a, a personal lines auto policy, it's kind of the one of the most basic ones out there. And in fact, it's one of the few insurance protections that's actually mandated by law. So if you're going to drive in mass, you got to have insurance. It's the law. So you got to buy this policy, but um, every policy comes with uh, no fault insurance. It's one of the most basic protections of a basic policy. So if you get in an accident, and you're hurt, there's $8,000 line of coverage in every auto policy to pay for your medical bills, lost wages. Another protection is essential services. So if you're laid up, you need somebody to clean your house, something like that, and you got to pay them, it pays for that. So $8,000 is available. However, insurance companies are allowed to sell those policies with an $8,000 deductible. So in other words, you've essentially eliminated that coverage. So you think, oh, I got 8,000 for the basic protection without regard to who caused this accident. 
but then they got a deductible for 8,000. They just didn't know that because they bought the policy, say over the phone or online and no one told them about that. They get in an accident and it turns out they have no no-fault coverage. So even in a basic transaction transaction like that, you gotta you know, get, a, get good advice. So tell me about Hallaby Law Group. How did, uh, how did you all get started and, and who's part of that team? Yeah, so, and this goes back a bit. So I practice uh, with my wife, uh, Julie Hallaby. So we went to law school together. Uh, we went to school at Case Western Reserve University, which is in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I'm not a Massachusetts native. Uh, she is a Massachusetts native. But we met in law school, kind of dated uh, second year and then into the third year. And how law school works is uh, you've got to sign up for the bar towards the end of your three-year educational program. And you've got to pick the state where you want to take the bar exam. Every bar admission is only good for the state that you take it in. So uh, I'm from originally uh, upstate New York. And I went to college in Ohio and uh, continued my schooling there, you know, for Case Western. And anyway, so when it came time to pick the bar exam, um, you go and you basically, this goes back in time, but you'd stand in a line for the bar class for the particular state you're interested in. And at this school, it was one line for Ohio and one line for any other state. So I just got into the Ohio line, figuring I'd just stay there, find a job in the area. And, um, we were walking together and then we decided, okay, today's a good morning to sign up for this Barbary class. Let's go do it. So we each get into separate lines. <laughs> there had been no discussion about where we're going to be moving to in a, in a few months to take the bar exam and study for it in the particular state we were interested in. So anyways, that led to a substantial talk after that about what we're going to be doing. But <laughs> I ended up taking the Ohio bar exam and uh, Julie took the Massachusetts bar exam. And uh, we both passed our exams. But after I took the exam, I came out to Massachusetts to kind of visit her. And we decided, OK, I'll stay here in Massachusetts and uh, look for a job here. And uh, now I've got to take the Massachusetts bar exam. So I got to study again. It's amazing how much you forget um, from one sitting to the next. They offer it twice a year. So I took it in August and then they give it again in February. So when you got to begin preparing again in January, you've forgotten half of it. So you got to study again. Uh, so I'm studying for the mass bar and um, I'm networking at the same time. And I contact everybody I know, including my father's second cousin, who was a prominent attorney in Denver. And he was a Harvard grad. So I called him up and said, you know, do you still have any Harvard contacts or Boston contacts? Somebody I can reach out to. He said, oh, sure. But here in Denver, our firm, which was about a 20 attorney civil litigation firm, uh, we're interviewing for a new associate. So I'll tell you what, if you're interested, meet some of the other attorneys, see how it goes. So I did that, um, flew out, had the interview, uh, got the job, and then ceased studying for the Massachusetts bar and studied for the Colorado bar. Uh, and that was a tough, you know, six weeks or so, because uh, that was a very tough firm, very busy litigation firm. You know, I had to jump in full bore and uh, study for the exam, take the exam in February. And... Um, 
even though I had a relative as a contact, I think that actually made it a little bit harder because I think he wanted to make sure with all his partners that he wasn't bringing somebody in just because there was a relationship. So I think, and it was a tough firm to begin with. So I think it was even an added kind of responsibility. But I got everything done. And then uh, Julie came out to visit, uh, maybe in the springtime after all this happened. She's like, wow, I've never been to Colorado. It's pretty cool. So why don't I come out here and I'll take the Colorado bar? So she did. Um, she took the bar that summer. And then we ended up staying out there for 10 years and worked uh, different law firms. I worked uh, at, uh, it, was, it was called Hallaby Cross Lichty, Schluter, and Buck. Um, their primary uh, client was the city of Denver representing the police in civil liability claims. So this was cases arising from anything that the police did allegedly illegal so as to violate somebody's civil rights. So things like uh, excessive force in an arrest, uh, a speed chase where the police are trying to get a fleeing felon and an auto accident happens, things involving jailhouse conditions, persons being arrested wrongly, or uh, sometimes a warrant would be executed on the wrong premises. And somebody would allege that, hey, look, uh, you were looking for my neighbor and you had everybody down on the ground and nobody was hurt, but we've never been so stressed out in our life. And if you had used uh, reasonable foresight in how you executed this warrant, we wouldn't have these damages. So all types of scenarios can arise in the, uh, in the context of those types of claims. So it was an interesting firm to work at. Um, and then after that, I worked at a couple other firms out in Colorado, uh, representing insurance companies, handling insurance policy disputes, providing legal defense to policyholders and auto crashes and truck accidents in uh, um, contractor uh, accidents. We had a number of cases involving uh, contractors and subcontractors on a, say a big commercial contract and somebody gets hurt. Sometimes the injuries are very significant. Um, so all kinds of scenarios that way. And that's, that's kind of what I did out there. And after doing that for about 10 years, we decided it was time to make a change sort of geographically. The last firm that I was at in Colorado, I was at, at three of them out there, uh, was sort of breaking up at the time. Uh, two of the owners ended up suing each other um, for all kinds of issues. And what's funny is you see that a lot in small law firms. Uh, it's hard to make a small law firm work. That's Part of the reason I think why you see a lot of medium size and larger law firms, but when you have say two or three owners and they each you know have their thoughts about you know whatever, um, you often see a lot of merges and you know breakups and sometimes even litigation. But anyway, so this firm broke apart and uh, we moved to Boston. So I had been to Boston and Massachusetts and the areas around it, but never lived there. So it was a big change for me. I had a job. Um, one international place, seventh floor, was a firm called the McCormack Firm. And uh, that was basically what you call an insurance defense firm. So insurance defense means their clients of the firm are primarily insurance companies, and they provide cases to the lawyers to work on involving the defense of the policyholders or the defense of the insurance company when there's issues about interpretation of the language and things like that. So I did that for about four and a half years. And uh, Julie decided, you know, why don't we start our own firm? So we did, and that was 11 years ago. 
And uh, boy, that was quite an experience getting going. Um, I was able to bring some of the permanent clients of the firm, permanent meaning not just one case, but an ongoing sort of stream of business with an insurance company um, with us, which was kind of neat. Um, but I remember sitting, you know, for the first couple of months, we just used our home as our base and just sitting in the basement office, uh, talking to some of our representatives, uh, talking to them about, you know, how we're ready to handle their cases. Uh, even though I really didn't have any employees, I was staring at basically paint cans in the paint room where it was quietest in the house. Uh, because the kids at that point were uh, four and six years old, something like that. So anyways, uh, we, it was a great time, but a lot of risk to kind of bring on that way, but we've made it work and it's grown nicely. So right now we've got seven folks in our firm. So Julie and I, and we have uh, attorney Rob Connolly, who's a real experienced civil litigator. Rob's um, background before working for another civil litigation firm was in the criminal realm. So he, he was a prosecutor, basically. He worked for two different departments in Massachusetts. He was also a Maine prosecutor. And before that, he was in the military, uh, Army JAG, and um, a paratrooper, actually. So real interesting guy to, uh, to meet and talk to about some of his experiences uh, in the Army. And he was stationed up in Alaska, and he served in Iraq, and all kinds of stories that way. Uh, we have another attorney, Gene Zeiler, who's an uh, experienced employment lawyer. One of our areas of practice is employment law. So employment law, I can talk about that maybe uh, in a little bit, but that, uh, that's a constantly evolving area of the law where you've got to really be on top of a lot of rules and a lot of current case law. You're really not going to do a good service to your client, big, big area. But uh, so Gene worked for the state, um, working for the uh, Fair Labor Standards Division and handling matters uh, for the state for a number of years. And now she's in private practice and she's with us as well, doing, uh, doing a great job. So her and Julie work on a lot of the employment cases. We have one other attorney who's part-time, his name is Alan McLean, so another employment attorney. And he used to work at a large firm handling matters for management. So meaning you're mostly working for the employer uh, when the employer is sued by an employee or where the employer needs help uh, of an advisory nature about what to do about an employment law and how do I handle the situation, make sure we don't get sued or we're in compliance with governmental rules. So he did a lot of that and uh, he's with us as well. And then we've got two full-time staff members uh, and they're great, uh, Lisa and Bridget. Uh, Lisa started with us, um, I wanna say three months into our practice. Uh, we started basically in January of 2011 and she came on in April of that year and she's been with us ever since. So it's what, 10 and a half years or a little bit more. So she does a great job. She's got a real good background in medicine. So um, she worked for nursing homes and she's worked in hospitals, some hospital administration, but She's got a real big personal interest in acute care and long-term care, medical conditions, physiology, all this stuff. But it's really helpful uh, in a lot of our cases, particularly our personal injury cases. So when somebody's injured, to really understand the scope of their physical damages, which translates into the size of the appropriate value of the case, 
you have to be able to read the medical records and you have to be able to understand somebody's clinical picture. You also have to understand the defenses that are gonna be coming at you. So in a personal injury case, one of the classic defenses of an insurance company, which has to pay for the settlement for their policyholder who caused the accident, the classic defense is that although you might, you plaintiff might have some injuries, they're not from the accident because you had them before, or these are things that just develop anatomically and not because of a particular traumatic event. So therefore you don't get a settlement amount for that injury that you're claiming to be from the accident. So you have to be really knowledgeable about how to understand the medical records to defeat that argument because that argument comes up in just about every case. Uh, we have one other assistant, uh, Bridget. So Bridget's been with us for about three years and she's, uh, she's our tech person, which is really helpful. Um, every firm has to have somebody like that. Otherwise you're calling your IT person 24 seven because there's always something that you have to know to, to fix um, or to just get it working right. And um, she's great with that. She's also really good with um, client intake. We, you know, we get a lot of calls. Uh, being in civil litigation, um, there's all kinds of scenarios where somebody might think they have a case or I'm going to call a lawyer about my scenario. And some of them, they range. They range the gamut from a great case to there's nothing here to, well, I think you have something great, but it's going to be a 10 minute conversation to figure out, you know, if there's really something here. So she's really good on those intakes. And, um, you know, being sympathetic too, because when somebody contacts a lawyer and they're looking to bring some kind of action against somebody else or a company, they're in a tough spot. So they're going to need a friendly ear to have that kind of reception to their story. So she's great at that. So empathy is, uh, is, is very important in those scenarios. How, how would somebody find you? Like, so what's the a typical person calling into the office? How did they, how did they come upon Hallaby Law Group? Yeah, so a lot of our referrals are professional contacts. Uh, other attorneys are a big source for us, which was something that, you know, when I started the practice was sort of an oxymoron to me. So I had been practicing for 15 years for the different law firms in uh, Colorado and Boston. And a colleague of mine who had started his own practice maybe a year earlier said, you know, lawyers are going to be your best referral source. And I said, what? I mean, they practice law too. They're going to want the case for themselves. And you realize how subspecialized the law is and that you as a practitioner can only handle your particular sphere. You might stretch that a little bit at times if it's something you think you can handle, but you can only stretch it so far. Otherwise, you're getting into dangerous water. So you want to send somebody who comes to you for help to the right lawyer who's going to be able to help them out when it's outside of your sphere. So that happens a lot with, uh, with attorneys. So attorneys are great referral sources for us. Um, other professionals, uh, CPAs, uh, financial uh, professionals. Um, for our insurance uh, business, we get work from what are called uh, public adjusters. So a public adjuster is somebody who you as a business or homeowner, when you have a big loss, might need to call just to work you through the claim process because it's very complicated and you want to make sure you get the most money you need. So you don't really need a lawyer to sue anybody or to get real threatening, but you need somebody to guide you through the process. So that's a public adjuster. 
But when the situation turns into a matter where all of a sudden a lawyer now is needed and that public adjuster has worked on it a while, they recommend a lawyer to their client and then we get cases that way. Um, so yeah, primarily that. We've been developing our online presence a little bit more and uh, that's been a lot of fun. We're working with somebody who's real good at that in terms of getting the word out, talking about some of the successes we've had, uh, helping us develop more and more testimonials from our clients who've had great results. And we're getting more cases come in through uh, electronic sort of discovery, seeing us on the web that way too. Um, and then repeat business. So from the insurance companies who uh, send us some regular business. Thing about that industry, though, is insurance companies get bought, and then your business makeup changes a little bit when they, you know, go through those uh, corporate changes. Um, but repeat business uh, from employees who have struggled with a situation and need help again, um, to business owners who encounter new challenges and need uh, need an attorney on a second or third project. So. So those are some of our sources. It, it sounds like the Hallaby Law Group has a really uh, niche focus, but with some practitioners that have really cool previous experience. So you've seen the other side of it, and now you're working on this side of it with the knowledge that you gained working on the other side. If a client were to work with you and have some success, you mentioned the testimonials. What would one of those sound like? Sure. You know, I'd start with the customer service. So, you know, I was in a particular situation and I needed somebody who could give me some great advice right away and then guide me through the process. So I contacted Hallaby Law Group, which was responsive uh, immediately, uh, pleasant, uh, as well as empathetic. And you know they were able to facilitate a consultation right away and give me some immediate advice and then talk about how they could help me going forward. And then beyond that, once we got into the process, you know, I found them to be very knowledgeable and uh, continued to stay in great contact with me about how my case is proceeding and you know, advocated for my interests all the way through. Now, if you're talking to someone who's in their second or third year of law school, would you encourage them to follow this path? Yeah, so that's a great, a great question. And uh, so we even have a daughter, she's not that far along, she's only a college freshman, but expressed a little bit of interest in um, law school and, and going that way. So, you know, I think it's a great profession. There's one thing that the, the legal profession really does give as a great benefit, which is flexibility of your own employment. So you've got a lot of options. You can work for the government. You can work for a corporation. You can work for a traditional law firm, a various size law firm. Um, you can start your own practice. You can partner up with somebody. So there's great flexibility that way that some other types of, um, you know, industries that require you know, uh, substantial education and accreditation and all that stuff don't really afford. You go down a track and you're kind of in that track and you don't have a lot of options. So practice of law, you've got a lot of options, which is nice. Um, you know, not cheap anymore. Uh, wasn't even cheap when I did it, but um, even more so now with um, college at $70,000 a year and then law school. 
uh, a little bit less uh, offerings in terms of uh, financial benefits than other graduate programs. I know folks in maybe the sciences, things like that, you, you, you work while you're in school or you know, there's more sort of aid available, whereas law school, you, you kind of pay for it yourself. And um, whatever that comes from, loans or you know, folk, your parents or whoever, but um, you are probably gonna have some financial obligations. So you know, be prepared for that. But um, as I say, in the long run, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great practice that offers flexibility. You know, another thing that's kind of interesting about it is the factual pattern. So what we do is we have to fit together a particular problem that somebody brings to us, or if we're defending a case that the other side is presenting against our client that we have to defend against and learn about all the ins and outs of what happened. And it's going to be a lot of information, some cases more than others, but you always involve yourself in learning something new about a particular industry. So let's say we have a construction case and the issue at hand is rebar on a construction project involving the pouring of concrete. So now we learn about rebar. And next time we take that knowledge with us and we learn something more about rebar. And that's really interesting. And then there's more to the case than just the rebar. There's why somebody didn't pay for it or what went wrong with the project. Then you get involved in the human element of it. And then you apply it to the law. And the law is interesting because there's a lot of cases about your particular scenario that you get to read or that you get to kind of uh, expound on. And then you advocate for why that case is going to be helpful for you or if it hurts you, why that case shouldn't be applied by the judge. So it's really an interesting practice on uh, interesting vocation on a lot, of, a lot of levels. And you would recommend civil litigation as, as a practice within the practice? I, li I like civil litigation. I mean, the, the, uh, the thing I like about it is uh, it's intellectual. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot of writing, um, a lot of advocacy. Um, if you're somebody that really loves to just argue on your feet, that's really what you want to do. Uh, you want to be in court arguing with the judge and read a little bit, but for the most part, you want to be talking a lot and you want to be standing up and having people listen to you. You know, criminal law is probably the best way to really gain your footing with regard to that kind of practice, because that's where everything is done. Literally, cases are moved along, decided, changed right in front of the judge in the courtroom. Civil litigation, there's some of that, but most of it is done through phone calls with the other attorney, through letters explaining positions, through you know, reading of cases and statutes to try and get the law to favor your case and a lot more slow paced strategizing versus uh, a quick, you know, here's what I think our position is and da -da -da -da, see what the judge does on the spot. So, you know, if that's kind of your style, I definitely recommend that area of practice for sure. Cool. Now, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. I know it's a, it's a newer form of medium, if you will, a newer way to get your story out there and you're expanding your comfort zone. One of the other things we like to do to expand our comfort zone is, is karaoke. And John, we're going to get a group of the guests together and have a networking. So maybe you can be introduced to some folks that can help refer you some some cases, but on the forefront at that event is going to be karaoke. Now, John Howard, yeah. you're up next on the mic. What, what's your go-to? What are you singing? Um, so, you know, I've been a Sinatra fan <laughs> for a long time, even in college. It was kind of old music for my, year, for my years, maybe, but um, I love the song, I Get a Kick Out of You, Frank Sinatra tune. 
goes way, way back. Um, that's something I, I would, uh, I'd take a stab at. Certainly can't uh, sing to the level of old blue eyes, but um, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't think many can. And as they say, it's, it's probably 30% skill, 70% stage presence. So I'm <laughs> sure you can, uh, you can do old blue eyes though. <laughs> hey John, most important question of them all. Somebody uh, has a, a situation where they need civil litigation help. Maybe maybe one of the attorneys or real estate professionals is listening to this, and they have a client in need of help. Maybe the client themselves is hearing this and and saying, you know, I really like this guy, and I I want to work with his firm. How would they get in touch with you and Hallaby Law Group? Yeah, so we are. We're located in Hingham Square, um, which is the other end of Hingham from the Derby Street shops, kind of the old part of town. We're actually located in the original town hall building. And uh, it's a beautiful building, about 100 years old, uh, red brick building right at the corner of Main and South Street. So the address is 14 Main Street. And our phone's 781-749-0909. And that's, that's where we've been since we started. And um, that's where we hope to continue to be. But that's uh, the best way to reach us. And I mentioned our assistants, Lisa and Bridget, and they definitely handle all in in incoming calls quickly. And we'll get right back to you. Well, that's important, especially when people are, are stressed out. John, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your stories, your knowledge, your wisdom. And, uh, and I look forward to seeing you very soon. All right, perfect. No, Mark, thank you very much. I've enjoyed talking about all these topics and uh, great questions to, uh, to let me do that. So thank you for the chance. My pleasure. We'll talk to you soon, John. Okay, thanks, Mark. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Title. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S E C U R I T I T L E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.